imagine yourself as a first century believer in a first century setting. You may or may not even know how to read. You may or not may not have actually met the Apostle John, one of the Sons of Thunder. But you certainly know who he is and his influence on the church. It's been a while since anybody has heard from him or seen him. But there's a buzz that he has written a letter that's being circulated among the leaders in your town. And today is the first time that your church has gathered to hear it read aloud as a group in fellowship. Imagine the anticipation, the hope of clarifying some things that you've been struggling with in your faith, or maybe settling some arguments that have been taking place in your congregation. There's some new teachings that have been circulating in your church and making you argue. Yes, sir? We can be in Ephesus, we could be in Corinth, because this letter was widely spread, right? So hope of clarifying things uh, regarding the new teachings. But most of all, most of all, you're hearing directly from your beloved brother in Jesus, John, the one who walked with the master, and he has a message for you. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our own eyes, and we have looked upon, and our hands have handled and touched concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and we bear witness, and declare that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly... Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you so that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word does not belong in us. My little children, I say these things as I write to you, that you may not sin. And, any, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, the complete atonement for our sins, and not for only ours, but also for those of the entire world. Now by this, we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, that man is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his words, truly the love of God is perfected in him, by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same way as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandments, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 
Who, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not even know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, as is the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us. <clears throat> For they had, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were truly of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who decides? Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he had promised to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you in concerning all things, that is true. And it is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Him it is coming. And if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we are... <coughs> Now we are the children of God, and it has not been revealed, but we shall see. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and all sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no, no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. 
He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of devil are manifest or obvious. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the very beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was the wicked one and murdered his own brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, that if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life living in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And then we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God possibly abide in him? If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments, and we do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us that commandment. Now, he who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him, and by this we know that He abides in us, and by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into this world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is the Christ and has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. You are of God, little, jo little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who does not hear God, who is not of God, does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not, does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent Jesus as a propitiation or atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we too should love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And, in, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the Holy Spirit. And this we test, have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as a Savior to the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
And if we have known and believed the love of God that has for us, God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not, but he who has fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him simply because he first loves us, loved us. If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, that man is a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen, how can he possibly love God whom he has never seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot and also loves him, is begotten by him. By this we know that we love, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, and that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not at all burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness here on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is even greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given his son. He who has the son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything accord to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning, which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who do not commit sins leading to death. There is also sin leading to death, and I do not say that we should not pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God, God keeps to himself. The wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, the true, this is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. We have heard the words of the brother John who sent to us. 
And now it is time for us to take into consideration those words that he shared with us. And so I have my whiteboard here, which I stole out of a kindergarten classroom. So somewhere there's a <laughs> kindergarten classroom whiteboard. Roger said, Roger wanted to hook me up with uh, PowerPoint, but I'm techie. And like I said earlier is, if we don't interact, this is gonna be the longest hour of your lives. It'll be even longer than that five and a half chapters from the word I just read to you. <laughs> so I would like, first of all, for us to discuss our impressions. As we were reading through that and sharing that, and um, I added some dramatic emphasis in there, and if so, if you read the New King James, you'll, say, you'll see, well, that word's not in there. But I, I added some dramatic emphasis just to drive, the home, uh, drive it home. I can assure you that there's no heresy or apostasy in that. But just for a little, make it a little bit less painful for the listener, I added a little drama in there. So what are, what are some of the impressions that we get as a fellowship of believers that probably heard that message for the very first time? a lot of clarity to people that told me think other things. It gives me more clarity of what I should believe. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about, he talks a lot about love. That's probably the one of the main themes for the whole, whole second book. Yep. You know, there's a church tradition which says that when John was a very old man in Ephesus, he had to be carried to the church in the arms of his disciples. At these meetings, he was accustomed to say no more than little children love one another. After a time, the disciples may have wearied at always hearing the same words and asked him, Master, why do you always say this? And he simply replied, it is the Lord's command. And if this be done, it should be enough. Now, granted, that is from church tradition, from, I think, Pliny the Elder, um, but it is really a good introduction to what John's message was in his first epistle. Our impression, I believe, is that love is our utmost command. And I know for me, my love is conditional and is very hard. There are people who have wronged me, who have harmed me, who have mocked me, who have cost me things, but yet God says, God doesn't give me permission to hate them or hold a grudge. I mean, there's people in this congregation. Well, I have been in this community for 36 years. There's people in this congregation who have hurt my feelings at one point or another. And it was up to me to get over it, not for them to make it right, right? So in verses 1 through 3, we're going to move on. John testified to what he had seen and touched. And by the way, you can get your Bibles out now. I'll let you. Um, what he had seen is touch. Why did he feel compelled to do so? Go ahead. At this time, there was a the Gnosticism was going crazy. In the right. And they were trying to... Can you talk louder? I'll, uh, I'll repeat his question for you. So. The, the idea was trying to reduce Jesus from being God and man to just to being either just a spirit or uh, basically reducing who Jesus was. Right. So he's telling... So the purpose of this letter, one of the reasons, other than the commandment of love, forgiveness, abiding, walking in truth was to declare the supremacy of Christ over knowledge. Um, the, the theological term was Gnosticism. There was people who had infiltrated the church, um, mostly probably from Greek thinking or possibly Roman philosophy that said it is knowledge that draws you closer to God, not the supremacy of Christ. So he was, that's one of the reasons why Blake feels that maybe John was compelled to share what he had seen and what he had heard. Um, somebody grab John 19.35, and then somebody else please grab 2 Peter 1.16. 
and then we'll talk about it a little bit more. But we see that John says, well, let's, let's read it again. Yeah, you got Second Peter? Yeah. Okay, so just hold on to that. Just hold that in your bookmark, and when I, start, when I stop blathering, I will cue you if I can find one. He says in the beginning, he says, that which we have heard and which we have seen with our own eyes and which we have looked upon and our hands have handled considering the word of life or uh, concerning the word of life. That was the first verse. John says, I saw this, I smelled it, I touched it, I was there. Why is that so important? I can't hear you, I'm sorry. First-hand experience. First-hand experience. It's not hearsay. He, he, he's not going, hey, I heard this, heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend. Oh, sorry, old REO song there. But, yeah, he, he's saying, I was there, I saw it, I saw him come out of that tomb. This is no joke. Listen up, people. So go ahead and somebody read John 19.35 for me, please. He who has testified and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth that you may believe. One more time, nice and loud. He who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth that you may believe. Who said that? God. Jesus. Jesus said if you saw it, and you testify it, it's true, okay? Pretty heavy weight in why John set the tone here. He knew there was some real serious correction that needed to take place. And so he came out of the gate with, hey, listen up. I was there. I saw it. Now, 2 Peter uh, 1.16, please. Nice and loud for me, Eric. We told you about the time our Lord Jesus Christ came with power. But we didn't make up stories when we told you about it. With our own eyes, we saw him in all his majesty. With our own eyes, we saw his majesty. With our own eyes. So both Peter and John are telling their audience what? I saw it. Now here's the hard question. How should this affect how we live and present the gospel to our friends neighbors and loved ones <clears throat> or even sharing gospel we don't love that we should love that's always the hard one for me it's like there are people that I honestly don't care enough about at times whereas like there's sometimes there's a door and it's like ah, am I going to go there today <laughs> it takes a little more effort and a little less sense of urgency but why is this important for us as a life application confidence okay well, I think one thing about it is is if I say something to my son and then he repeats it, and I forget what it's called, but by the time the third or fourth guy hears it, it's a little bit distorted. So we have to go back to the Bible, to the source. Okay. And we have to reference that, not. The name of that kindergarten game is Telephone, <laughs> right? You remember, I, I remember playing it. Yeah, they had kindergarten when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> Um, you whisper in each other's ear, you know, the teacher would whisper something in your ear and you go all the way around the room and it was always a little bit embarrassing for that last kid. Nobody ever wanted to be the last kid. It says, line up, we're going to play telephone. I wanted to be the first, second guy in line. I didn't want the cacophony of laughter to lay on me. One of the things that we need to remember too is the effectiveness of our eyewitness testimony, of the things that we have seen, the things that we have touched, the things that we have tasted, and the effectiveness of our ministry. 
I think another thing that separates it is many religions of the world, God is not a personal God. Mm -hmm. All that is high and lifted up, he's separated from humankind. Christ is our friend. He is we're in a relationship with him. People need relationship. They don't need some faraway philosophy. So by testifying of what we have seen, we have heard, it speaks to that personal relationship, that interaction with a live and true God that others don't have. Mm -hmm. That's attractive. It is attractive, and it's important. And I believe that the evil one oftentimes will tell us that our experiences with Christ are not worthy of sharing. So we end up using some great analogy that we had learned in a sermon or a book we read, rather than telling somebody, man, I was dead. I was, I was stone dead when I was 23 years old, guys. I was stone dead. Um, went and visited my stepbrother and stepfamily in Minnesota last week, um, and I hadn't seen him, gosh, since I was 17 or 18 years old. And then my stepbrother died out here on the West Coast, and then we reconnected, so we went for a visit. And um, just how they perceived who I was as this 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23-year-old man to who I am now. And they saw that transformation, and I can assure you that they certainly love me more now than they would have then, right? Because as we saw in the Word, right, there's something different about somebody who walks in the light, or there's, at the very least there should be. I mean, we could definitely go through First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, and all the lifestyle epistle letters and know that the redeemed and regenerated life looks differently than the unre unredeemed one. So I think it's very important for us to always remember that what we have seen and what we have heard and what we have tasted and what we have smelled as it relates to our experience with Christ, as long as it lines up with the biblical narrative, because we all know where personal stories can go theologically sometimes, right, is something that is very true, very real, and very effective in sharing the message of Christ. And not always of this is who I was versus this is who I am now, this is how I am enduring this. You know, we, we see in Philippians, you know, where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's really favorite one of all the athletes and all that stuff. And it's great, but it's not in context. Paul's specifically saying, I can endure anything. Because of Christ, I can face shipwrecks and beating and being left for dead and being abandoned by my family. And it's the same thing for us. And I think that Philippians 4.13 verse is really good in that because everybody has struggles. And as we walk through our struggles with joy and hope, it is a phenomenal way to reach into people's lives with the hope of the gospel. What comes to my mind is uh, I, I very often will ask somebody when I meet them, who's your best friend or who's the most important person that you've met? Okay. Even in churches. Sure. And I get all kinds of answers. Oh, yeah. Other than Jesus Christ. Sure. And... What comes, came to mind when I started doing that was, does Jesus Christ have the preeminence? And the degree that we have, Jesus is the preeminence in our lives, is the degree to which we are going to live according to what he says. Right. Right. Making him first, right? And that's always... You know, when John talks about loving the world, I'm always convicted by that because there's a lot of things about the world I like. Now, John and I, we've been friends for going on 30 years, and we play golf together, and we're really competitive. And man, I love it when we get after it. We got after it a little bit yesterday on the back nine, and it was, hey, top this, and it was so much fun. 
and I probably love that a little more than I should because that was the last thing I thought of when I went to sleep last night, <laughs> right? So, but you know, understanding, giving Christ that preeminence. Okay, we're gonna go a little deeper. God is light. That's in verse five of the first chapter. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Let's take a moment and imagine it. Imagine that. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So when you imagine that, what comes to mind? If anybody's been in any of the deep caves, right. where they will turn lights out, then you have an understanding of what no light is. Yeah, I, I did that. I went into a cave one time, and uh, literally I could touch my eyelashes with my finger, and I couldn't see it. That's how dark it was, right? And we, la we all lasted about 12 minutes for it's like, ah, let's turn flashlights on. <laughs> I'm not okay with this. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. It's hard for us to really truly fathom that, isn't it? Because we live in a fallen and broken world, and we see sin and brokenness and shame and all the garbage of this life. But, you know, God is light, man. In him there is no darkness. Um, actually, it's not in my notes, but um, Isaiah, Isaiah 6, right? When uh, Isaiah has the vision, right? and just this terrifying holy vision of complete and total perfection. Let's take a look at um, 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 16, and then I need somebody to grab James uh, 1, 17. You've got James 1, 1, 17? Okay, who's got 1 Timothy 6, 13? You got it? Lay it on me, Eric, nice and loud. God gives life to everyone. Christ Jesus told the truth when he gave witness to Pontius Pilate. In the sight of God and Christ, I give you a command. Obey it until our Lord Jesus Christ appears. Obey it completely. Then no one can find fault with it or you. God will bring Jesus back at a time that pleases him. God is the blessed and only ruler. He is the greatest king of all. He is the most powerful Lord of all. God is everything good everything good. He is the supremacy, and Jesus Christ is the earthly example of God's perfection, of his absolute supremacy and perfection. That is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That should be a somewhat terrifying and encouraging thing at the same time, at least in my walk. I work a little better sometimes under the impression of fear. It's <laughs> just like, hey, Parnum, this is what God's called you to do. Suck it up, because you know the cost if you're disobedient. I've been walking with the Lord long enough to pretty much see the cause and effect for obedience and disobedience. And what's interesting is sometimes in my life, from a worldly standpoint, sometimes my obedience results in more suffering than my disobedience. <laughs> I know it's crazy to believe, but it's just kind of the way God has winnowed me. Okay, who's got James 1.17? You do, right, Kat? Okay. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. No variation, no shifting shadow. One of the things that's interesting about Islam is that Allah is a very capricious God. You can follow all of the rules, you can pray five times a day. You can go on your pilgrimage. You can do everything in the Quran. 
and Allah may or may not let you into paradise. God, on the other hand, is unable to change because of his nature, because of his character, because he is light. And he never made anything that needed fixing. Never. So we can trust him at his word and what he says and what he does is for our own good, although at times it's painful. Verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. And it's funny, in big capital letters here I write, yikes, official theological term. Some old note. <laughs> Light, when used in scripture, has various meanings, truth, goodness, joy, safety, and life, just as darkness is the contrary, denotes falsehood, evil, sorrow, peril, and death. Let's take a moment, as best we can, to, to describe what it means to walk in darkness. I know, real easy subject matter, huh, guys? In our own understanding. Walking in our own understanding is a really good one. Well, I think Psalm, Psalm 36, David says, there's a praise to the Lord, and he says, in your light, we see light. And I think we receive, we think we're walking in our own light. We we're really walking in darkness. And, and it's wow. in God's light that we truly, like, like the moon shining at night, that we see light, or the sun shining. It's only, it's, but we think we're projecting our own light. We can be deceived in that. But hmm. truly, only when we, we are walking in his light, we see light. And that always struck me as, okay, I'm, you're God and I'm not. Yeah, but the, you just described walking in light, and that's the second half of this question, Wiley. The question was, describe walking in darkness. <laughs> I guess it was kind of the same, but yeah. Go ahead. Address something similar, I think. In okay. Matthew 7, 22. He said, for the light of the body uh, uh, is the eye. Yeah. Therefore, thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Right. So walking in darkness, I think, was in our text. It's basically the complete and total denial of who Christ is and recognizing his lordship in our lives. Um, it, you know, uh, it, in our text, as we read, we saw that the one, who, the one who says that Christ is not the Son of God is a liar. That's the text. That's what the text says. So I think in the extreme, we see that true darkness is the refusal to accept who Christ is at the root. Even going, not even, not even of accepting it and placing your faith in Christ, but I think the ultimate darkness is just the complete denial of Christ and him being the son of God. That's, from a biblical standpoint, I believe that that's the ultimate darkness. And out of that manifests everything that we're seeing. I mean, I don't have to bring it up, guys. I mean, I, I'm actually, a, I, I do not consume a lot of news media. I don't because um, that's not what God's called me to do. God has called me to be an encourager and evangelist. And so all this stuff that's going on around me and politics and conspiracy theories and all this other stuff is not something that builds me up into my calling. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. It's just not my calling, okay? My calling is to share the gospel and love people well, right? And sometimes when I get spun up, which I do because I'm conservative, I'm a veteran, I'm flag waver, I bleed red, white, and blue, all that stuff. But if I get sucked into it, my calling slides off. 
and I begin to walk in the darkness. When I start walking in my own opinion, and what I believe is important to me is when I step out of the light. That's my story. I'm not speaking to any of you. That's my story. That, you know, there's, um, I can't, I don't remember addresses as well. And this is for my walk. And I remember the first time I read it, it says, it is the fool who takes no delight in wisdom, but loves airing his own opinion. And it really cut me to the heart. And I remember in that same study, I was preparing a lesson similar to this. I landed over in Micah 6, right? For, oh, for old man, he has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I have a tattooed on my right arm. And I still don't live it out. I see it every morning when I take a shower and all that stuff. But it's still there. So I think walking, I believe, in my own walk, that walking in darkness is stepping outside of my calling. And I think most of us in this room have been walked with Jesus. I don't know all of you. I know John, Eric's in my DNA group. I mean, I know, uh, I know Chuck, but I mean, it, and, and Joyce. But for me, my, when I know is when I'm stepping outside my calling because I can feel it in my heart. I feel like I need a shower every 15 minutes, <laughs> you know? So walking in the darkness, I think, is something that we need to be very cautious of. It's like John said. We think sometimes we're walking in the light when in actually, well, we're actually walking in our own light. And what did Isaiah say about our own righteousness? Filthy rags. All right, let's get to something more fun. Let's talk about walking in the light. I need John 12, 35, and 36. I need John 3, 19 through 21. Oh, I love it. Uh, 2 Cor 6, 14, and Ephesians 5, 8. You got John 12, 35, and 36. Let's have it, Eric. Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. Do this before darkness catches up with you. Anyone who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. While you have the light, put your trust in it. Then you can become sons of the light. Sons of the light. Now, understanding New Testament Greek a little bit as I do, that is a overarching narrative, which means sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the light, right? It's interesting how both John in our text and Jesus said, if you walk in the, walk in the darkness, you don't even know where you're going. I don't know if anybody's had those desert wanderings in their walk and you feel like you have absolutely no idea where you're going. Well, it's very possible we forgot to hit the light switch, <laughs> right? Who's got John 3, 19 through 21? Sabbath. Okay, three. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Right. So it's interesting, and we see in John 3, 16, which is the 16 and 17, right, as we know, the context for verses 19 through 21 are the preceding verses, right? We all know 16, right? 16 and 17, right? But then 19, he says, hey, this is the verdict. And it's interesting that you know how we can really tell when we're slipping into darkness? Anybody want, anybody want to take this one on? How, what's one of the first indicators that we're slipping into darkness? What? <laughs> Sometimes, brother, I agree. I'm going to put that for tape. You'll wake up in the morning, right? 
But how can we tell as, as followers of Christ, as one of those indicators, go ahead. When you stop seeking community. And that ties into Blake's, what Blake just read for us, right? That you, you hide in the darkness, right? And we've seen it over and over. And, and it's been in my life, too, that when I'm walking in a place where I shouldn't be, I have no enthusiasm for fellowship. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's only when the light shines. Oh, right. We'll never see it in its totality until we see him face to face. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I do love that passage uh, when Paul says that. He says, someday I'll, I will see clearly not through a veil. I look forward to that day. I got some, I'm going to have some questions, but I know that they'll all, be, they'll all be answered before I actually meet him. But I do have a lot of questions. Um, who's got 2 Corinthians uh, 6.14? I got it. Okay. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Now, we could probably spend another 45 minutes about being unequally yoked. That's not the purpose of this lesson. But we understand that when we step into darkness, we know. And if we don't know, people who love us know. And we should pray that they should love us enough to tell us. You know, one of the things in our culture we constantly hear, well, that's unloving. You can't say that. That's unloving. And one of my favorite Bible teachers um, said this. He said, it's the most loving thing I can do to tell you that you're heading for destruction. You know, and we have to do it in a winsome way. And sometimes... One of the things I'm really big on is uh, male fellowship, spending time with other men. Um, because other than your wife, your good brothers in Christ are not afraid to hurt your feelings. <laughs> when you have good, tight brothers in Christ, they will jack you up. And I, I know I'm one of the people that needs it. Jack you up is not a theological term, <laughs> but it is one of my favorites. Because it is a little graphic. And who's got Ephesians 5.8? I got that one. Okay. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. One more time. That's so good. Read it again nice and loud. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. In that same section in Ephesians, it literally talks about you were dead. You were dead. And now not only are we alive, but we're the light. And of course, we can all remember the Sunday school lessons. I didn't go to Sunday school as a kid growing up, but I did teach first, second grade Sunday school, right? Let your light shine among men. That's the stuff that Jesus is talking about. And what we're seeing here, there's understanding that we're walking in the glory and the light of God himself, who we have a personal relationship with. I mean, that's mind-numbing. That was one of the questions we asked the Albanians when we were doing street ministry is, do you believe that there's a God? And most of them would say, yeah. And then we would ask them, do you believe that he could be known? Do you believe, do you believe that he could be known by you and you known by him? And that was where things got interested in. And I shared earlier, you know, I... One of my favorite hobbies, and it shouldn't be because it's a little prideful, is I would just salivate when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door because I love sharing the gospel with them because they're so deceived. They don't even know they're deceived, right? So I share, they, they don't come anymore. 
I'm in Albania in the streets of Tirana. Blake's been there. This is second, third world crazy. It's just crazy. It's a crazy place. Guy goes by in a $200,000 Mercedes and another guy walking with a donkey on the same street. First guy I witnessed to, Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> in Albania through a translator. And I remember this, I was like, really, God? Yeah, I'm sure you are just cracking up. Yeah. So walking in the light is not something that we do in our own works, guys. It's something that we, it's through reliance and trusting in his complete and total sufficiency, right? Knowing that we will sin, as we saw in, in the first chapter of 1 John, if we sin, he is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, forgive us those sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to step into the light and trust the light and know that the light is there and then be willing to honestly assess as we sometimes hit the dimmer switch. And maybe I'm the only one that does that. But there are times in my hurt and in my disappointment and in my frustration and everything that's going on in the world, I get a little nihilistic. What's the point? And I start heading for the dimmer switch. And praise God for his Holy Spirit. He says, yeah, no, no, let's turn them up a little brighter. You know, and then pray Psalm 51, right? Search my heart, O God, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And it, I hope that as we spend time here, as we understand why our world is so crazy, we should not be surprised by sinners acting like sinners. We should not be shocked. We should not be offended. We should not be put off. We should say, oh, how tough it must be to live in that level of slavery. I love the fact that God has given me the gift to live in absolute truth. Can you imagine living in all these gray areas all the time and not ever having anything to truly grasp onto as, as, as the theologians say, empirical truth? I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine it. We got five minutes. Where are we going to go next? Oh, do we want to go there? Claiming fellowship, yet walking in the darkness. John directly connects walking in the light with, with the fellowship of believers. This is a conversation that um, Ben and I have had quite a bit. Who's already forecasting the dead What? Who's already forecasting the dead Yeah. Yep. So if we claim... If we claim fellowship with Christ and yet we walk in the darkness, which means what? Hating our brother, depending on our own ways, um, not living sacrificially. I mean, we can go down the list. And for every one of us, it's a little bit different. Praise the Lord, because the Holy Spirit convicts each one of us individually. There are some absolute truths we hold with a closed fist, and then there's some other things that we hold with an open hand, right? But if we claim fellowship with him and we walk in the darkness, we are liars. Um, and John directly connects that with our desire to be in community. And I know that we all have those people in our life who say, yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. And I'm not in, I'm not in community, I, but, I, I, but I love Jesus. And we have to be winsome enough to say, book of 1 John says otherwise that one of the manifestations of your faith in Christ is your love for his people. And so I can hear how quiet it's getting here right there. It's a big one, guys. I um, did evangelism at the fair. 
um, some years ago. My booth was across from Ben's booth, so we are running competition. <laughs> Don and, ben and I had a lot of fun that weekend. Um, ben and I have been friends long before we ever came here, but that's a whole different story. But um, is having the courage to tell people, if you profess to love Christ and you profess to honor him with your life, it's time for you to step into community and love his people and love them well. And one of the mistakes that we've made over the years in the Christian church is that we have forgotten charity inside of our own doors in exchange for charity outside. All right? That's some, I think my mic died. Praise the Lord. Um, uh, that we have forgotten that this is his bride whom he adores and whom he gave all for and that we should do the same. And when we have met those expectations, then we should look outside the doors. Again, that's from first opinions. I believe the scripture backs me up. So um, here are the references. Which one do we want to do? Let's do, uh, eh, I think we're good. Any questions, comments before we wrap up? I think that when you talk about um, like what you were talking about with at the fair and you're having your booths yeah. um, and to have the love to go out towards people, um, as a follower of Christ, if you generally are and you're not having, you know, where you're saying one thing and doing another, you'll have the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love in itself and joy, peace, patience, mm -hmm. kindness, goodness. All that is a result of the love yeah. first. There's a reason why he mentioned that one first. Right. It, the community believers, man, we have to always remember how Jesus feels about his church. When we're bellyaching about our church or we're bellyaching about some other church, unless it's heresy or sin, we should really tread very carefully. Jesus loves his pride. We are his prized possession collectively, right? So we need to tread lightly on that. I had a pastor I served under when we were living in Seattle. And when people would come to him and say, hey, Jeff, what I don't like about doxa, that was the name of our church, is, he goes, no, 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 time out, time out. I want you to rephrase that. What I don't like about us is, and then we'll talk about it. Because if you're a member and you're part of that fellowship, then you're part of the collective junk, right? So John calls us to love one another and in, show, in so doing, and I'll close with this thought, that in, in loving one another, in this passionate koinonia, fellowship, love, Philadelphia love, we are expressing among one of the highest levels of worship and one of the highest levels of proof of salvation on this earth. And it's hard because I'm not a big fan of church sometimes. Jesus, thanks for this. Thanks for your word. Thanks, thank you that you have been so good to me that I was literally dead and now I live. Lord, I pray that we, as a result of this time together, would walk a little bit more in a brighter light that you would give to us. In Jesus' name, amen.